0: In the first five chapters of uh, the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with this topic of uh, justification. And as we move into chapter six, uh, the Apostle now begins to deal with the topic of sanctification, or being more like the Lord Jesus Christ in our Christian lives. And it addresses, in general terms, how the new man should live and what the mindset of the Christian ought to be. And Paul has been using an argument in this chapter which can be seen in both verses 1 and verses 15. Verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And in verse 15 he says, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. And what was this? This was a response to what Paul said in the last two verses of the previous chapter. And what did he say there? He said, Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And what is Paul saying in these verses? They look confusing. But really what Paul is saying here is that the grace of God will triumph in the life of the believer. Yes, there is still sin there, but the grace of God will triumph. Before we were saved, sin abounded. Sin ruled our hearts. It ruled our lives. It corrupted every faculty of the body and the mind. But in Jesus Christ... And through our salvation, what rules? Grace rules. And from grace flows righteousness and holiness for those who have spiritual life in Him. This is what rules in our faculties, in our minds, in our hearts. And this is what leads Paul to ask these questions in verses 1 and verse 15. He says, What shall we say then? What then? So in light of the fact that grace is going to triumph in the life of the believer, Paul is suggesting then that in our salvation, uh, the believer will be led one of two ways. It will be that the believer will use their liberty in Christ uh, to sin and as a license to sin, or they will live unto holiness and righteousness. And it's evident from the rest of the chapter that Paul is leading them to the latter conclusion. Paul is encouraging them to live a life of righteousness and holiness in light of the prevailing grace of God. Now, we don't have the time to consider this chapter in detail. Uh, but Paul summarizes all of his arguments concerning uh, the believer living on to righteousness in verse twenty three of Romans six. For it says, Therefore, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now much of this chapter deals with the issue uh, of labor or slavery. And it points us to the outworking of two types of labor or two types of slaveries. And one is slavery to sin. For Romans 6 and 19 says, "'I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh.'" For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. And what is the end of being a slave to death? Well, verse 21 says, For the end of those things is death. And the other type of slavery is slavery to righteousness. For the rest of that verse says, Even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. And the end of this type of slavery is life. For in verse twenty two it says, and the end life or everlasting life. And we want to think about this in a little more detail tonight. And whether you're saved or whether you are and not saved, there will be much in this message that we can all think upon tonight, and we can all ponder, and it's with these thoughts in mind, and Romans six and twenty three is our text, that I want you to consider this topic with me this evening of two ways of living life. Two ways of living life. See firstly with me that there is the way of death. Because the first part of our text says, For the wages of sin is death. Now as we said, Paul encourages the believers here to live on to righteousness. And he's saying, look, you're saved. You're a new man. Why would you live in sin? Or why would you choose to abuse your liberty and sin, especially in light of God's grace? because the effects of sin are death. And its effects are seen in two ways, because its effects are evident in this life. Now, when we read that statement, that the wages of sin is death, we automatically think about the state of the soul beyond the grave, facing eternal damnation outside of Jesus Christ. And that is, of course, part of it. And, of course, it is an important part, which we will consider a little later. But we need to remember... That in Romans 6, Paul is writing about the present life of the believer. And the believer has been freed from sin and must now serve God rather than sin. Because death is an end of sin. But we mustn't overlook the fact that there is a present death in this life relating to sin. And I think Paul is referring to this in verse 23 when he speaks about death. And the reason for this is that that word wages I use to describe sin's effects, it refers to rations that were given to a Roman soldier for his labor, uh, specifically fish rations. And this ration was given daily. It's not the case that it was given at the end of the week or the end of the month or even at the end of a period of service like some sort of pension. It was given daily. And therefore, when Paul speaks of the wages of sin, the individual's present state is in view. He is speaking about the wages being something we get day to day. So we are given something day to day because of our sin. And Romans 1 and 18 says, "'For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men,' Uh, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And this is a parallel verse to Romans 6 and 23. Because although one aspect of God's wrath is His wrath in eternity, another aspect of God's wrath is during this present time and during this life when He will execute His judgments and His indignation upon sin against men even here on earth. This is why the Apostle Paul tells the believers. Don't live in sin. Don't use your liberty to sin as some sort of license, thinking you can sin and get away with it because the wages of sin is death. Death brings nothing but destruction and heartbreak to your life, or sin, sorry. Now, you have some Christians who would even take a slightly different view to Paul in this matter. For they would say that, they would look at verse 14 of this chapter, and Paul saying that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And they would claim that Christians no longer have an obligation to keep the law of God. And it's true, we are no longer under the ceremonial law. And it's true that the Bible does associate the law with death. For in Romans 8 and 2, we see, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, it is God's law. Really, it is the Ten Commandments which determines the measure of our judgment. It is the Ten Commandments which dictate how we will be punished for our law-breaking. And for every one of us, that is death. And this is where people are wrong when they they say that Christians are no longer under any obligation to keep the law of God. Because they emphasize the fact, well, the law is associated with death. And we are under grace, so we don't need to keep the law. They emphasize phrases such as the curse of the law. And they say, we don't need to keep the law anymore. We don't need to keep the Sabbath holy. We can do whatever we want. But friends, their logic is wrong. And they twist the Scriptures. Yes, the Bible does say that the law is a curse. But why is the law a curse? The law is a curse to men and women. And the law is associated with death in Scripture. Because we as mankind have broken God's law. We are required when we are born to keep the law perfectly, but we have all failed. We have failed to meet the requirements of the law. We have all broken the law and brought God's wrath and condemnation upon our shoulders. We have invited God's wrath upon us because when we measure ourselves up against the law, we fall far short. And what's the penalty for breaking God's law? It's death. An unsaved friend tonight in this meeting, this is a a realization that you need to face up to. You are a breaker of God's law. We are all breakers of God's law. But some of us have been saved and have had our sins forgiven. But you, in your unsaved state, will be judged according to the law. You are not under grace. You are under the law, and you are cursed. You have sinned against God. You have offended a holy God because of your sin and you have invited his wrath upon your shoulders. Do you realize that? I listened to a sermon recently from the late R.C. Sproul and he said that there are men who think that they are going to stand before God and that they are going to wave their fists at him and tell him how bad he is. And tell him how unrighteous he is. And they're going to give him a piece of their mind. What did Sproul say? He said, if we went went within a certain distance of the sun, we would evaporate. Yet some men think that they're going to walk into the presence of the creator of the sun and have a say before him. No, God will pour out his wrath against all sin and all unrighteousness. And if you're not saved, what do you need? It's very simple. You need forgiveness. You need your sins forgiven. And this is why the law is a curse, because we are all obliged to keep it. When, we are, when God created Adam and Eve, Adam had to obey, and he wouldn't have died. But friends, we could never keep the law of God. We have broken it. What does Romans 3 and 23 say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this is why Paul says that we are no longer under the law. He's not saying that so that we can just go out as Christians and do whatever we want to do and abuse our liberty. No, Paul is saying that we are no longer under the law because we have broken it, because we can we can never obtain righteousness that will fit us for heaven under the law, because we are lawbreakers. So in order for us to get to heaven, what do we need? Well, we can't get to heaven through the law if we've broken it, so what do we need? We need grace. And that's why Paul says, You're no longer under the law, you're under grace because it's through grace that we are fitted for heaven when we receive Christ's perfect righteousness and forgiveness from sin. That's what it means to no longer be under the law and to be under grace. And this is what Paul is arguing to the believers in Rome. He's saying now that we're no longer under the law, should we sin? And what does he say? God forbid. And what then is the duty of the child of God? The duty of the child of God is to live unto righteousness. It is to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is to be like Jesus Christ as much as God enables us to do. You think of the words of Psalm 1 and the verses 1 to 3. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate day and night. And what are the fruits of someone delighting in the law and meditating on the law? It says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, Shall prosper, I want to make it clear tonight those who say that Christians should no longer feel obliged to keep the law, they are in opposition to Paul and the Holy Scripture, because the law is our delight. What is true christian liberty it 's not doing what we want and living a life of sin because if you 're truly saved you 'll not desire to live a life of sin. What is true Christian liberty? It is keeping the law of God. That's freedom. And why is that freedom? Because as Christians, we desire to please the Lord and to do His will and to be like Christ because we love Him. And therefore, true liberty is being saved and living a life of holiness. And if we live in sin, we invite nothing but trouble upon ourselves, even as Christians. Think about it practically, if we cheat... If we still, if we allow, if we lie, if we allow ourselves to be overcome with uh, pride and lust, it all leads to self-destruction. We can make shipwreck of our lives. We can even ruin the church. And in the general sense, this is what sin will always do. You just have to consider the amount of people who have ruined their lives and ruined their homes and and made a total mess through the abuse of alcohol and the abuse of drugs or due to adultery or whatever it might be. That's what Paul is emphasizing. The wages of sin is death. Oh, you will get something back, but it is death. It is death. And its effects will be seen in this life. But I want you to see also concerning the wages of sin, that its effects will be seen in eternity. And this is the most obvious conclusion that people come to when they read that phrase, the wages of sin is death. Now, the Lord told told Adam in Genesis 2 and 17 that the moment he ate of the fruit, he would surely die. The Lord told uh, Adam that disobedience leads to death. Sin against the God of heaven comes with a death penalty. And this is why the entire human race is subject to death. This is why we die. We don't die because science tells us stuff about natural causes or whatever. We die because we are sinners. And God has appointed that those who commit sin die. That's why when Christ died, uh, we read that he actually had to give himself over to death because he was sinless. And he had to give himself over to the curse of death, whereas us, we can do nothing. We succumb to death because of our sin. And from the moment of birth, we are on a physical journey which eventually ends in the grave. That was the penalty And the fact that we weren't cast into hell for all of eternity the moment we sinned against God is a mercy from the God of heaven. A great American Baptist preacher once said that every breath the unsaved person breathes is mercy. It's mercy. But sin one day will bring forth death, as the Scriptures tell us. And those who are not under grace... Those who are not redeemed, those who are not trusting Christ, those who are still under the law and will be judged according to the measure of the law, they will face eternal hell. Because they will be found wanting. And the wrath of God will be poured upon them forever because of their sin. This is why, if you are not saved, you need to face up to the reality that your sin will bring you no satisfaction. Though it may bring a season of pleasure, but it will not bring lasting satisfaction, and it will ultimately reap for you the wages of death—physical death, spiritual death. You need to be saved. You need to come to Christ and have your sins forgiven, and you need to be under grace. And this leads me to my second point tonight concerning uh, the two ways that we live life. I want you to see secondly with me that there is the way of life. Because uh, Paul says in the second part of our Scripture text, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Paul is saying to believers, as I've said, don't abuse your liberty. Don't use your liberty um, and the fact that you are now under the grace of God to live a life of sin. Because sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to God's wrath. And why would you even want to live a life like that? And now he moves to present us with a total contrast. Because rather than living in sin and facing the wages of sin, Paul now moves to tell us what we ought to do. He now moves to speak of a total contrast. He says, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you sin, you get what you deserve. You get your wages, you get what you earn. But here we have a free gift from God himself. And it's entirely of grace. It's something that we haven't earned. It's not recompense for a work that has been done. It is something that God has given us out of his favor and out of his goodwill. And he has given it to those who don't deserve it. And he has given it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what is the gift? It's eternal life. Paul has been speaking about death, and he says, but we don't need to receive the wages of sin, which is death. We can have eternal life as a free gift. And we want to think more about the effects of eternal life. I want you to see that its effects are evident in this life. Now, when we think of eternal life, we automatically think of the eternal existence of the soul. Now, that's not entirely accurate, because the souls of both the saved and the unsaved um, exist forever. The saved soul exists in heaven, and the unsaved soul exists in hell. And the idea of the soul going to heaven for eternity is part of what eternal life is, and it is a part of what uh, eternal life means. But what exactly does it mean to have eternal life? When exactly does eternal life begin? Eternal life, friends, begins the moment that we are born again. It begins the moment uh, God's Spirit gives us spiritual life from our deadness. Eternal life is related to knowing God. And the journey of the human with regards to knowing God, the moment begins, the moment they are given life by His Spirit. And the moment they come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's eternal life. It is knowing Him. What did the Savior say in John 17 and 3? He says, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Friends, this is eternal life. It's knowing God savingly through His Son, Jesus Christ. And not just to know Him as Creator, because, friends, even the devils in hell know that God created the heavens and the earth. Even the devils in hell have some sort of knowledge of God, what knowledge of God is it that saves the unsaved person? It is to know Him as the God of salvation and to know Him as the God of all grace. It is to know Him as the God of forgiveness. It is to know Him experientially in the heart. That is eternal life. Because where does this knowledge of God come from and His Son come from? and the forgiveness of sins comes from, it comes from God. He gives it to us. The gift of God is eternal life. He has caused this salvation to be known. And this is why we often emphasize the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. We've often heard that prayed in prayer meetings about how someone has head knowledge of the gospel, but we want them to have heart knowledge. That's why we pray it, because to know God in our minds and to know the things of God in our minds is one thing, but to know God in our hearts through the life-giving power of the Spirit of Christ is different. It's eternal life. And I want to ask you tonight in this service, do you have this life-giving knowledge of God? When you examine your heart tonight and ask yourself, what do I know of God? What do I think of God? Do you think to yourself, He is my Savior? I know His Son. I know Him as a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. Friends, have you experienced a work of grace in your heart whereby you've come to trust Christ? Perhaps if I asked you tonight, do you believe in God? You would say yes. Yes. If I asked you, do you believe that God sent His Son? You would say yes. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. That's not enough. If you want eternal life, you must put your faith in Christ. Because that is to know God in our hearts. That is to know Him experientially and to be saved. You must flee from the curse of the law, which is death. You must flee from eternal damnation and put your trust in him. That's what it means to be under grace, very simply to be saved. And not only is eternal life to know God, but it is a journey by which we continue to know more of God in an increasing degree of fullness as we grow in holiness and are made more like Christ. And this is the contrast Paul has been making He is saying you're no longer under the law in terms of its curse for breaking it. You're under grace. And in light of that, live a life of holiness and righteousness, because God has gifted you knowledge of Him. God has gifted you eternal life, and therefore live for His glory. Live unto righteousness. Enjoy your liberty Grow in the knowledge of God. Enjoy the blessing that it is to know God. And uh, enjoy the blessing of knowledge of God. Friends, this is the purpose for which we have been given eternal life and knowledge of God in our hearts. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, it is that we may glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you remember, I remember when I first got saved, And I learned something new about God being young in the faith. And my heart rejoiced. I'm sure you can remember that as well. I remember going to the Bible class in Portavogie and learning something new. And it was the best feeling in the world to learn something about God, the one who has saved you. Friends, we have to spend a lifetime doing this if we want to enjoy fullness of joy and fullness of blessing. And that's what Paul is saying. God has gifted you eternal life. Live unto righteousness. Enjoy your liberty. And that's why we ought to endeavor to know Him more because if we don't desire to know Him more here, then we will not find heaven um, very much fun because in heaven we will spend an eternity learning more about God who is infinite we will spend an eternity learning more and more about him, then why would we not want to know him more in this life? Because when we know him more, we love him more and we serve him more. And that's why we must immerse ourselves in his word, whether it's by reading it or listening to the preaching of it. Believer in Christ, make that your life's goal. Just to know God, God, just to know Christ that little bit more, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, whether it's just a little droplet of knowledge at a time. Grasp it and enjoy the ever-increasing blessedness of eternal life, of knowledge of God. What does 2 Peter 3 and 18 say? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to go home and to open up the deepest (coughs) theology book that you can find and to start reading it because we all have different intellectual abilities. Some people can read deep theology books and some people can't, and that's fine. We only work with what the Lord has given us, and dear Christian, one man's drop of knowledge to you might be a river of knowledge, a river of blessing, but it doesn't matter. Immerse yourself in it just get to know him more whatever the cost however little it is because that's the most important thing in life is to know him, to love him to serve him because if that's not our goal in life then our priorities are wrong Christ is our life and knowledge of Christ in our new birth is the beginning of eternal life which entails us to be more like him But it culminates in something because not only are the effects of eternal life evident in this life, but they are evident in eternity also. Because not only will we enjoy the life and knowledge of God here on earth, but in eternity we will enjoy it in heaven, as I've said, and it will be so glorious there. Because we will spend an eternity learning about God and we will not be hindered by sin. We will not be hindered by evil. We will love him with fullness of joy and fullness of love and fullness of blessing. We will enjoy unadulterated, perfect fellowship with Christ. But we ought to desire a glimpse of that here on earth. friends, this is when we, we will enjoy the fullness of the eternal life that we have already received from God and Christ, we will enjoy it in heaven. What did Peter say in First, Peter 1 and nine? He says that we will enjoy the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. Oh friends, we have tasted of eternal life here. We have tasted of salvation. We have tasted something of what it is to know God. But we will enjoy the fullness of these blessings when we finally see Him face to face. Thank God tonight we have this hope because Christ has purchased salvation for us on the cross. He has borne the penalty of the law, He has borne the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. And what has He done? He has purchased eternal life. Very simply, he has taken your punishment and he will give you his righteousness which will fit you for heaven if you put your faith in him. Dear friend, if you know nothing of eternal life tonight, but you wish to taste of that life and remove the burden of sin from your shoulders, then put your faith in Jesus Christ. He has paid the price. The law will not save you. Only grace will save. Only Christ will save. That's why I chose that hymn, Amazing Grace. You want to be saved? You want to get to heaven? You want to have your sins forgiven? Amazing grace in Christ. Trust him. And may God bless his word through all of our hearts tonight for his glory. Amen. Amen. We'll bow in prayer. And we'll seek the Lord's face as we bring our service to a close.